Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. chapter 6 please numbers chapter number 6 tonight the book of numbers chapter number 6 if you're glad you saved say amen. amen amen it is good to be saved there's nothing better to be than to be saved by the grace of God to know that you don't have to go to hell know that heaven is your eternal home uh, you can't beat that with a stick as my grandpa used to say it's wonderful to be saved tonight. Good to be here tonight. Appreciate you folks. Thank God for Beacon Baptist Church. So good to see you tonight. And appreciate your hospitality being good to us today. And uh, rejoice in His goodness. Praise the Lord. God's good to us. Amen. Every day. Amen. Every single day. On your worst day, God's good to you. Because on your worst day, you're not in hell. Yeah. I feel sorry for Joel Osteen. He's trying to have his best day now. My best day's yet to come. If your best day's now, you're going to die and go to hell, friend. Uh, my best day and your best day, if you're saved, is in the future, in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm glad we can have some good days today. I'm glad Jesus, my pastor used to say it this way. He said, God gave us a little heaven to go to heaven on. Don't have to wait to get to heaven to shout. Don't have to wait till I get to heaven and have a glorified body to rejoice and worship Him. Uh, you do know this is going to be the quietest world you're ever going to be a part of. Might as well get you to, used to some racket here because you're going to have a whole lot of racket there. And if you die and go to hell, it's, it's going to be loud there too. This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. Might as well get in some practice right now of praising and rejoicing the Lord. Don't want to walk into the pearly gates not knowing what to do. I want to do it here and just walk into there continuing what I started down here. Worshiping and rejoicing in the Lord. Praise His name. So good to see you. We're going to Numbers chapter number 6 tonight. Number 6. Numbers chapter 6. We're looking at uh, Christ and pictures of Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ and principles and aspects of Jesus that we find uh, in the Old Testament. Now, I can't cover all the Old Testament. I'm just picking some spots that I feel like the Lord would have us to examine tonight. We're in Numbers chapter 6. We're going to look at the last few verses of Numbers chapter 6. If you're not careful when you're reading the Bible, and most people get to at least, you know, Exodus and Leviticus, and they kind of taper off and no telling what happens after that. Uh, everybody knows Genesis. We've all read Genesis. Because in January, we take care of Genesis. By the time we get to February, it's kind of, it can be a little struggle. But Numbers is a good book, too. And uh, don't just skim past it or skip over it. But if you're not careful when you're reading the Bible, if you're not reading in a determined manner, uh, you may miss some things that God has for you in the Word of God. If you're just reading to get your reading in, and you need to get your reading in, but if you're just reading to get your reading in and not reading with intent, determined to see something from God and hear something from God, you may miss some glorious verses and truths that God has for you. And uh, I preached this message at our home church a while back, and I had somebody came, come to me after the service said, I, I just read past those verses. I never looked at these verses and saw anything in them. Just because, just reading through the Bible. But if we would read the Bible, determined uh, for God to speak to us, He'll show you things in some of the most obscure spots in Scripture. 
There'll, there'll be times you'll be in one of the minor prophets. I mean, who can get anything out of a minor prophet? But you're going to be in the minor prophet, and you'll be going through something that day, and you'll be dealing with something that day, and God will have a word for you right there in Habakkuk. That is an actual book of the Bible, Habakkuk. That's a, a lot of people don't know that's a book of the Bible. It really is. And God can speak to you from any portion of Scripture for that moment in time. I enjoy preaching through books of the Bible. I don't know how many times while preaching through a book of the Bible. And I started the book a year ago or a year and a half ago. And now a year and a half later, our church or our family is dealing with something and going through something, or I am personally. And as I'm preaching through a book of the Bible... We come to a passage that, oh, it just so happens to be time to deal with that passage that's dealing with that issue, and we started it a year and a half ago. I'm not a Calvinist, but I do believe God's sovereign, and He knows what He's doing. He knows how to order things, and He's even ordered the Word of God to speak to you in your moment in time, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with. Now, I've heard preachers say this. And they'll say things like, don't, they're saying this to preachers, saying this to pastors and preachers, don't ever, don't read the Bible just looking for sermons. Read the Bible just to speak to you, to yourself and don't look for sermons. I quit trying that a long time ago. I can't read the Bible and not look for sermons. It is impossible for me to read the Bible. But what I found out is, what I found out is, as I'm reading the Bible looking for my sermons, that's when God is speaking to me in places where I may not even preach out of that passage. But because I'm looking for something, God shows me something and speaks to me. And it just so happens as I was reading my Bible one day, I came across this passage. Uh, and I was looking for a sermon. And sure enough, God gave me a sermon out of this passage. But it spoke to me first. And I was able to share it with the people of God. And I've come to share it with you tonight. Let's read together tonight, starting at verse number 22, uh, number 6, where the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise, or in this way, ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. This is that high priestly prayer. Right that was instituted by God through Moses to Aaron and to the subsequent high priest that would follow. This was the great high priestly prayer, the priestly blessing, if you will. That priest would raise his hands and he would quote these verses, verse 24 down to verse 26. He would quote these verses over the people of God, declaring and confirming a blessing from God upon the people of God. God instituted this. God gave it to his people. But I want you to think just for a moment, the, the moment in which God gave this. What God is doing right here in the life of Moses, in the ministry of Moses, he's preparing his people to cross the Jordan River, to go into the promised land. They're about to come up to Kadesh Barnea. And they are going to send in some spies, and hopefully the spies will come back with a positive report, and they're going to go in and take the land. And before he even sends the spies out, God is offering up a blessing through the high priest to give to the people. Here is my blessing. Here is my promise of blessing upon the people of God. 
But God gave this blessing knowing that when they got to the Jordan and they sent the spies in and the spies would come back, 10 spies came back with a negative report, a report of doubt, a report of questioning God. Only two came back with a positive report, a positive report of faith. Joshua and Caleb were all the only ones that came back and said, we can do this with God's help and God's strength. We can conquer the giants. We can take that land. The people of God listened to the 10 doubting spies, ignored the two believing spies, and they didn't make it in. And their carcasses dropped dead in the wilderness. For the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. But even God, knowing the disappointment of the people, he still said, I'm going to give you a blessing. I want to give you a blessing. I want to be a blessing to the people around. I'm glad, thank God for His grace tonight. I'm glad that God wants to bless us even when we're, we're not really blessable. You think about this. Here is God offering a blessing to the people of God. High priest raises his hands, quotes these verses, and God offers this blessing. But you know what the Bible says in the New Testament about you and I? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, the Bible says that God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Here in the Old Testament, the people of God were waiting on that priest to raise his hands and quote these verses to be a blessing. But in the New Testament, hands have already been raised. They've already been raised up to offer a blessing to you. Now, I'm not waiting on the high priest to send me a blessing. He sent me a blessing on the old rugged cross. And now the Bible says we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You and I don't have to wait for a new blessing. We need to tap into the old blessings that God already bought for us on the old rugged cross. That's what we need to do tonight, get our focus on Jesus Christ and who He is and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ so that we can enter into the experience of those blessings. You already have everything you ever need. When you got Jesus, you got everything you would ever need. There's nothing that needs to be added to Jesus Christ. We talk about needing revival in these days. We need revival. I think we've, we've almost got to the place where we're bowing at the altar of revival. It's not revival that's what we need. It's Jesus what we need. Jesus brings revival. Don't misunderstand me. But it's Jesus Christ that we need, not revival. In fact, if you study the Bible, you study the Word of God, revival is only, the word revive is only used two times in the New Testament. Yes, sir. Most of the times it's used in the Old Testament. Most of the occasions you see the word revive or revive, it's in the Old Testament. You only see it twice in the New Testament. The first time is in Romans chapter 7, verse number 9, where the Bible speaks of, Paul speaks of uh, sin reviving. When the law came and exposed to him his own personal sin, he says, sin revived. He said, I didn't realize how bad of a sinner I was. Didn't even realize I was a sinner. But when the law came, now I see myself a sinner. And he says, that's when sin revived. I saw myself as a sinner. So there, there's a revival of, of sin that's mentioned in the New Testament. But then, in the same book of the Bible, Romans 14, verse number 9, you'll find the last time in the entire Word of God, in the entire Bible, the last time the word revive is used is in Romans 14, verse 9. And it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he died, was buried. The Bible says he arose and revived. The last time you see the word revive in your Bible, it's connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus brought to you and I 
when he walked out of that tomb, he brought revival. He brought everything we would ever need. And Ephesians says, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. I, I wonder, what, what are we waiting on? Well, we're waiting on revival. Why? Because we need revival. But you got it. Right. Did you get Jesus? Did he walk out of the tomb? Is he alive? Does not the Bible say he walked out revived? Yes, it does. So if he walked out with revival and he's in my life and I've been blessed with all spiritual blessings, I've got everything I'll ever need. What I need to do is tap into what Jesus Christ has already blessed me with, what he's already provided for you and I. Revival is not God doing something new. It is you and I getting a hold of something old. Right. I understand when we experience revival, it's as if it's a new thing coming. But really, it's just God's people getting connected to an old thing that's been accomplished. And that's the resurrected Jesus Christ. You ever thought about the first time the word revival is ever used in the Bible? The first time it's ever used. The last time it talks about Jesus being alive. He arose and revived. That's the last time. It's ever mentioned. The first time is in the book of Genesis. You know that, that book we read every January. <laughs> Genesis 45, I believe it is. There's Jacob thinking that Joseph was dead. Then here come the wagons. And when he saw the wagons, he realized Joseph was alive, and the Bible says he revived. You know when Jacob revived? When he realized Joseph was alive. That's a resurrection. Right. He thought Joseph was dead. Now he sees that Joseph is alive. And when he saw that Joseph was alive, in fact, here's what Jacob said. Jacob said, it is enough. That's what he said. He said, my son is alive. It is enough. And my friend, because Jesus is alive tonight, it's enough. We don't need anything else. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. We don't need to wait on some new experience or God to do something new. Do it again, Lord. He's already done it once in your life. He did it when he saved you by his marvelous grace. What you and I need to do is live in that. Pray without ceasing. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. All that is is you and I tapping into the resurrected Christ and his life and his power. Percy Ray said, he said, revival is being filled with the Spirit of God. That's what Percy Ray said. Now as a man knew something about revival. He said, revival is being filled with the Spirit of God. Milton Taylor said the same thing. Revival is being filled with the Spirit of God. You know what being filled with the Spirit of God is? Living in the power of the resurrected Christ. That's revival. Let's stop waiting on it. And get in on what Christ has already done in our lives. You can study church history and the so-called revivals. And I love that word, the revivals that have taken place, the great awakenings. In every occasion, what it was, some saints of God sanctified themselves, separated themselves apart, and got connected to the power of the resurrected Christ. Amen. And when they did it, somebody else did it, and somebody else did it. And what we've done in these last few years is we're sitting here waiting on something to happen. God, what are you waiting on? He's not waiting on anything. He did it when he walked out of the tomb. What you and I need, we need to get our doctrine right, our theology right. We need to stop waiting on him to do something, and we need to tap into what he has already done. That's revival. I said all that to get to this place here. These blessings that the nation of Israel are receiving from the high priest as he raises his hands and offers up these blessings, you and I already have these right now. 
what the people of God wanted then in their life. Can't wait for the high priest to raise his hand and give us those blessings. Our high priest has already raised his hands and given us these glorious blessings. Real quickly, let's look at some things tonight. Notice God's directive of blessing, verse number 22. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise, in this manner, this way, ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them. So God is giving a command through the man of God, this is how it is to be done. I said it last night, let me say it again, you either, you either do it God's way or it don't count. You either do it by the book or it does not count. Right. And if you and I will wake up every day living like that, we would, we would experience that revival, doing it by the book. So what God is doing, He's commanding. Here's how I want you to bless the people of God. But notice, second of all, God's declaration of blessing. From verse 24 down to verse 26, we find God declaring His blessing through the priest. In this blessing, we see the gift of God. Look at verse number 24. The Lord bless Thee. That word bless there, a blessing, it means a gift, it means a present. That's what a blessing is. It is a gift, it's a present. In fact, uh, the Hebrew word here for blessing, the root word of this word literally means to kneel down, to kneel. It's as if God is kneeling down offering you a gift. It's as if he is kneeling down saying, here is your blessing. Here is your gift. What an amazing picture that God is choosing to kneel down. Not in an act of worship by no means, but in an act of desire for you and I to have what he has. To receive a blessing from God. Now, I don't know how many of y'all know this, but I'm about to share it with you. I actually proposed to my wife twice. She said yes, twice. Let me explain. Went to give her a ring and ask her to marry me. I stopped by her mom and dad's house. She, she was at church. I think they were getting ready for vacation Bible school at her home church or whatever. And I wanted to ask her to marry me at an altar in the church. That's where I wanted to ask her. I wanted to be at the altar in the church and ask her. She was at the church. They were getting ready for vacation Bible school. She didn't know why I was coming. On my way down, I stopped by mom and dad's house just to make sure it was okay. Daddy said no twice. He said, no, you can't marry her. Finally, I sat there long enough, I got on his nerves. He said, okay, go marry her. So that's how I got the blessing from dad. So I left there, went to the church, walked in there. She was shocked to see me. We walked on this side of the church, coming down, just two rows like this. This side, we get to the corner over there, and I was so nervous, my mind was so messed up, I was just a wreck, I forgot to kneel down. I just pulled the ring out and said, will you marry me? Standing there at the altar, will you marry me? I forgot to kneel down. <laughs> she said yes. She took the ring. I, I put it on her finger. It was a weird, beautiful moment. I forgot to kneel. <laughs> I didn't think about it until we got back, went back to her house. She got the ring on her finger. We got back to the house, and it dawned on me. I didn't kneel. I didn't kneel down. I said, Kelly, um, will you hand me that ring back? <laughs> I said, i got to do this right. i got to kneel. She took the ring up. 
Now think about it. She could have said no. She had a second chance. I'm pretty impressed with myself. I don't know how about you. I'm pretty she, she gave me I had a second chance. She handed me that ring back, and I got in front of her, and I got on my knee. I said, Kelly, will you marry me? And she said, yes, again. But I had to kneel down, and I wanted to offer her the rest of my life. And here's a token of the rest of my life and my love for you. And that's what God's doing here. He's saying, let me bless you. Let me bless you. Let me bestow upon you what only I can give you. And you do know that this, this looks like, this looks like a proposal here. That's, he, he's kneeling down wanting to bless the people of God. He's wanting to give the people of God a great blessing. By the way, you are that are saved, you are part of the bride of Christ. You are headed to a wedding. Jesus Christ proposed to you and you said yes and he's given you a great blessing. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten what? Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That glorious gift is none other than Jesus himself. Amen. When that high priest raised his hand and the Lord said, I want to bless you, he's saying, Would you please take my son forever? Forever. The high priest's blessing. The gift of God. Not only do we get this gift of God, but we get the guarding of God. Look at verse number 24 again. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. That word keep means guarding. In fact, the Hebrew word there is indicating a hedging about. Putting a protective hedge about the people of God. Y'all know about the hedge. You read the book of Job, where God, remember, God is the one that told Satan to jump on Job. Satan wasn't volunteering to jump on Job. The reason why Satan wasn't volunteering to do it is because he'd already tried it. And the last time he tried it, or the last few times he tried it, he kept hitting his hedge, and he couldn't get through the keeping and the guarding of God. God had to remove the hedge for Satan even to do anything. My friend, that's how it is for the child of God. If the devil is attacking, it's because God allowed it. God's still sovereign. He's sovereign over Satan. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. Satan can only go so far as God allows him to go. If there is a satanic attack in your life and you've been living right and trying to walk with God, yet here's the devil fighting your life and hindering your life, that's because in God's sovereign providential purposes, he knows right now you need that test. Job needed that test. You may need that test. But that test is there because God allowed it. God puts a hedge around the people of God in his blessing. And so we are secure. We are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus even said, he said, my sheep hear my voice in John 10. And I give them eternal life. And no man can pluck them out of my hand. We are hedged about. We are guarded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to probably be shocked when we get to heaven and find out all the times Satan and the demons of hell wanted to get a hold of us and destroy us and to harm us. And God kept them back. God held them back. Years ago, years ago, there's a pastor from Georgia. Y'all may have heard about this. 
pastor from Georgia, Brother Robbie, that was here Sunday, he could tell you probably more about it. There was a pastor from Georgia whose daughter went to attend Georgia Tech. And when she was a student at Georgia Tech, there was a serial killer that had been attacking women in that area. And the police had been looking for this guy. Well, one night she was at the library at Georgia Tech, kind of late, and it was time to leave. And she's going home, walking up the sidewalk, keeps on going, finds out later that she walked right past that serial killer. Walked right past him. He stayed right where he was at. The cops were able to find him. He was arrested. They put him in jail. But it got to weighing on her mind. She wondered, why, why didn't he attack me? Why didn't he attack me when I walked past him? After a long while of pleading with her daddy, he let her and he went with her to the, to, to the jail to, to talk to him, to ask him, why didn't you attack me? They go to the jail. They're talking to her, talking to him. She said, why? When you had a chance to attack me, why didn't you? She said, because your boyfriend is a big man. That's right. She said, what? She said, well, your boyfriend is the biggest man I've ever seen. <laughs> she said, what are you talking about? Well, when y'all walked by, he had his arm around you. And he looked right at me into the bush and went. Amen. Walked right by. He said, y'all were walking by. He did this. So I just stayed there. He's a huge man. Amen. She didn't have a boyfriend, but she has a God right. who has angels, right. who guards his people right. and protects the people of God. Right. And when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ and his raised Calvary hands, those hands are guarding hands. I will keep thee. Aren't you glad you're safe and secure in the arms of Jesus Christ tonight? Not only do we see the gift of God and the guarding of God, we see the glory of God. Look at verse 25. The Lord make his face shine upon thee. That priest raises his hands. The Lord make his face shine upon thee. He's talking about the glorious face of God. The Old Testament says so much about seeking the Lord's face. I'm not going to make you turn there, but real quick, let me, let me quote some scripture here. First Chronicles 16, 11. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Second Chronicles 7, 14. We all know that one. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. Psalm 24, uh, verse number 6 says that we're to seek his face. Psalm 27, 8, seek ye my face. Psalm 105, 4, seek his face evermore. Proverbs 7, 15 says, diligently seek the face of God. Hosea 5, 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. All through the Old Testament, seeking the face of God, seeking the face of God, because it's in the face of God that we see the glory of God. However, there's not one time in the New Testament where you're told to seek his face. Not one time. The reason being is after Calvary, you got everything you'll ever need. Can I prove it to you from the scriptures? Take your Bible real quick and go to 2 Corinthians. Hold your place in number six, but go to 2 Corinthians, please. Go to 2 Corinthians, chapter number three. 
2 Corinthians 3. Hold your place in Numbers. 2 Corinthians 3. Look what the Bible says. Look at verse number 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. Paul says, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass. That word glass means a mirror. James says that God's Word is a mirror. This is a mirror. And when you look into a mirror, you see a reflection. You see a face in the mirror. Look what the Bible says. With open face, that means the mirror is clear, beholding as in a glass in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, when you open the Bible and you see in the Word of God and you look into the mirror of God's Word, when you look into a mirror, you see your face. But when we look into God's Word, we're not just seeing our reflection. We're actually seeing the person of Jesus Christ. We're seeing His face. In other words, because you are in Christ and now you're a new creature, your reflection looks like Jesus. Amen. He's saying, I want you to see you like God sees you. In Christ. And as we look at Christ, His face in the mirror, the Bible says the Holy Spirit changes us from glory to glory. In other words, the glory that we see, He makes us glorious like that. He's working on us to make us more like the one we're looking at in the Word of God. Now, I'm not done. Go to chapter 4 real quickly. I'm talking about that face now. Seeking the face of the Lord. His face shining upon you. Look at verse number 3 of chapter 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now look at verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, in the Old Testament, the priest had to raise his hand and say, the Lord's face shine upon you. Our high priest has already done that. All we have to do is open the Word of God and see Jesus. See His face. See the glory of Christ. I already have His blessing. And the Bible says there in 2 Corinthians 4 that He has put that glory in this earthen vessel. That's why when you see yourself in Christ, you're seeing the glory of Christ. You are a trophy of His grace. He became our sin that we might be the righteousness of God. See, we all sin and came short of the what? The glory of God. We have to be as glorious as God to get to heaven. But we ain't, so we're disqualified. We're disqualified. So it's the sin that's in us that removes the glory of God that allows us to get into heaven. But when you got saved by the grace of God, you were put in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was put in you. Now you have His glorious face in you and on you, and now you can go to heaven now, because you are now the righteousness of God. Whereas one time you were a sinner falling short of the glory of God, now you are the righteousness of God, and you bear the glory of God, and that's why you can get to heaven now. Because right. in Christ Jesus, we're as glorious as Christ.
I'm not going to hell because I'm good. I'm not going to hell because I turn over a new leaf. I'm not going to hell because I'm a preacher or a Baptist or I've been baptized or joined a church. None of that is getting me to heaven or you to heaven. You can't go to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. You can't go to heaven by giving a tithe or giving to charities. You can only go to heaven by one way. That's getting in Jesus Christ and letting God the Father see His glory on you. Because if He sees you, you're going to hell. But when He sees Christ, you're going to heaven. So that high priest said, may his face shine upon you. And Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, his hands raised, was offering his glory to you and I. We got that when we got saved by the grace of God. We also see the graciousness of God. Go back to number six, please. The graciousness of God. In Numbers chapter number six. Number six. This high priestly blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee, make his face shine upon thee, and be gracious unto thee. It's interesting that Hebrew word here for gracious implies to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. In other words, someone who is inferior to you, yet you bend to them and stoop to them to be a blessing to them. God is superior to us, but he condescended himself. He came unto his own. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you glad Jesus came to where we were? I couldn't get to him, so he came to me. You couldn't, couldn't get to him, so he came to where we were so that he could bend down, stoop down. In fact, he stooped so low that he became sin for us. That's how low he stooped. But we're the inferior ones. The superior bowed to the inferior to offer grace. Not to worship us. We return worship to him. But to offer us his wonderful, marvelous grace. That Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. You may not feel like much tonight, but what you are, you are by the grace of God. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd be in hell right now in your sins with your back broke, being tormented forever. But the reason why you're in the house of God tonight, the reason why you're here sitting on these padded chairs in a cool uh, atmosphere, the reason why you're here tonight is because of the naked grace of God. You are who you are. You're saved by the grace of God because God stooped down to us who are inferior, and offer to us His marvelous grace. But we're not done. Look at verse 26. We have the gazing of God that is offered to us. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee. It's not, it's not just His face. It's, it's what beams from His face. And give thee peace. So his countenance is upon us, and with that countenance he gives us peace. His countenance means, that means he has faced us with his, with his appearance, with what he looks like. He's looking at us, and it brings us peace. In Colossians chapter 1, verse number 20, the Bible says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By the cross of Christ he brought us peace. But what about this countenance? I wonder if y'all be interested tonight just to see what his countenance looks like. The Bible tells us. Take your Bible, go to the book of Revelation real quickly. The book of Revelation, real quickly. 
and go to chapter 1. We'll come back to Numbers. But go to Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation 1. Now, in Revelation 1, the Lord Jesus Christ is revealing Himself, His enthroned appearance. This is Christ enthroned at the right hand of the Father, and now He is revealing Himself visibly in this vision to the Apostle John. Look at verse number 16. In describing the exalted Christ, here's what the Bible says. And He, John says, and He had in His right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. When the sun is at its highest, when the sun is at its brightest, when the sun is at its most influential, he says that's how his face was shining. And that priest says, that's the face we want to look at us, toward us. Now, now that's a dangerous thing because Moses was exposed to the glory of God. And when he came off the mountain, they had to cover his face with a veil because just the reflection of the glory of God on, the, on Moses' face was blinding the people. But the priest says, we want that face shining on us. We want that face upon us. Well, look what happened to John when that face looked upon him. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Well, that, I should say so. You're in the gazing countenance of Christ. His face shines like that. You're going to fall at his feet as, as dead. But, but remember, the priest said, his countenance is going to shine upon you, but you're going to have peace. You're going to have peace. Look what the Bible says. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. There's your peace. Fear not. You say, Why can we have peace though his glorious countenance is shining upon us? For I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of death. And hell. You know why we don't have to fear the countenance of Christ? Because our sins have been taken care of. He is the first and the last. He was the one that was alive and he was dead. Now he's alive forevermore. He's risen from the dead. He's taken care of our sins. The reason why we don't have to fear the glory of God now is because Christ has removed the, the, the fear of the glory of God. We can bask in the glory of God because our sins have been taken away. Our sins have been removed. And we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now as we speak, there's a crystal sea in heaven before the throne of God. And from the throne of God emanates the glory of God. But there's a crystal sea. Personally, I believe that crystal sea was created on day two. You read in Genesis chapter number one, second day, the world was nothing but water. And God took off of the world water and removed that water, that body of water from the earth and put in between the two waters, the universe, the sun, the moon, stars, planets are between those two. That means that water that he took off the earth is now on the other side of the universe, the crystal sea. That was done on day two. And it's a barrier. Just as there are three heavens in the tabernacle, there were three compartments. 
And between the second and the third compartment, there was a what? A veil. What did that veil do? It kept the glory of God from coming out and destroying everybody. It kept the glory of God inside. That's what that, that's what that water in heaven is for. It's to, it's, to, it's to be a barrier between heaven and here. Because if that barrier wasn't there, His glory would come into the universe and absolutely wipe us all out. Because we are all tainted with sin. We're all tainted with sin. But when Jesus died, what was the first thing that took place after He died? I believe He walked went right over to, His body's still on the cross, but His spirit went right over the temple, grabbed that veil, and tore it in two. So that we could get in and the glory could get out. Amen. And the Bible says in Revelation 21, the old heaven and the old earth are passed away. There's a new Jerusalem coming. But then he says, and there's no more what? That barrier is going to be removed. And in eternity, from heaven all the way to the earth, there's not going to be multiple heavens. It's just going to be one glorious day basking in the glory of of God forever. And by the way, Genesis 1, the only day of God's creative week where God did not say that it was good was day two. Because I believe on that day, as He made that barrier, He knew, I'm making this barrier because I know man will fall. Man will fall. Into sin. It's the only day He didn't say it was good. But in the future, what happened to you and I when we got saved? Old things passed away, behold, all things become new. Revelation 21, he said, I'm going to make all things new. And the former things are going to pass away. What happened to me September 12, 1995 is going to happen to the whole universe in eternity. And that veil is going to be removed, and we're going to enjoy the countenance of Christ forever. We're not going to need the sun. We're not going to need the moon. The only light will be the glory of Jesus Christ emanating from His face. And we're going to be able to enjoy that priestly blessing for eternity. Praise His name. All of this we get by knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. But, but we're not done. Give me a few more minutes, I promise. I'll be, I'll be done real soon. You know I'm lying. But anyway, let's, let's, let's do this anyway. Number six, real quickly. I am going to hurry up. Go back to number six real quickly. I, I, I love this. this. This is such a blessing to me when I saw this. I want, I want to point out God's distinctiveness of blessing. From verse 22 down to verse 20. Seven. I want you to notice God's distinctiveness. I don't know how much you know about your King James Bible, but when you see a you or a ye or a your, that is a, that's plural. It's, it's speaking to multiple people. But when you see a thee or a thou, now a they is plural, but a thee or a thou or thine, that's singular. That's that's just one-on-one. -on -one. Kind of like in John chapter 3, where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, He said, Marvel not that I say unto Thee, ye must be born again. Distinguishing that singular from the plural. Watch Numbers chapter 6 here. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, speaking to Aaron unto his sons, saying, On this wise shall uh, ye shall bless the children of Israel, that's plural, and say unto them, you're going to say unto them, plural. But look how he speaks to them. Verse 24. The Lord bless the singular. And keep thee, singular. The Lord make His face shine upon thee, singular. And be gracious unto thee, singular. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee, singular. And give thee peace, singular. Verse 27, the blessing's done. And 
they, plural again, shall put my name upon the children of Israel, plural, and I will bless them, plural. When he actually gives, gives the blessing, he's not talking to the group. He's talking to you. It's for you. Right. I mean, if I'm in this big crowd of people and the priest is blessing all of us, well, I, I can understand that because that guy over there, he's, he's better than I am. And that lady over there, she, she's holier than I am. And he's got a better prayer life than I do. And he loves God's Word better than I do. And so I, I know that they can get what's coming from that priest. But when he said thee, that means it's coming to me too. It's coming to you. It's not, it's not his favorites. It's not somebody in spite of you. No, it's you. You get in on this. You get connected to Jesus Christ. You get those personal blessings for yourself. That's how distinctive these blessings are. Let me give you one more and I'm done. Notice here, God's designation of blessing. He puts his name on this blessing. And they shall put my name. When, when God, uh, through the high priest, gives this blessing to his people, they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. When, in other words, when that priest is blessing the people with his hands up, it's as if God is putting his name upon the people. Well, what name? Four times, from verse 22 to verse 26. The first time you see it in verse 22, then each time in the blessing from verse 24 to 26, you see the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name Jehovah meaning the self-existent one, the eternal one, the everlasting one, the one that cannot die, the one that will always exist. He said, I'm putting that name on you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord Jehovah make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord Jehovah lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. It's kind of interesting in Romans chapter 3. Jesus says, I will write upon him the name of my God. I will write upon him my new name. Revelation 3.12. You say, what does all that mean? I have no idea. All I know is when he sees me, he sees the name Jehovah, the self-existent one. That means as long as he's existing, I'm going to exist. As long as he is sustained, I'm sustained. If he dies, we're, 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 we're toast. But he's not dying. He's eternal. Therefore, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you get everlasting life because his name is placed upon you. We go to one more passage, and I promise you I'm done. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. I'm talking about this high priestly blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. I, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, when Jesus went back to heaven, I wonder if these are the last words he said to his disciples. You say, why would you suggest that? Look at Luke 24, look at verse 50. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Y'all see that? And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. I wonder if there at Bethany, he lifted up his hands and said, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Now here's what's different 
If that's what Jesus did there, here's what's different between Jesus doing it then and the high priest of the Old Testament. That high priest lifted up his hands, and it was a wonderful blessing and a great experience. But when Jesus lifted up his hands, they saw the nail prints. When he lifted up his hands and blessed them, they saw the marks of Calvary. And that's why you have the blessings you have. Because Jesus took your place on the cross and you didn't have to die. You get all of the blessings and the benefits. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. You're safe, secure, in a good place in Christ Jesus. If you know him, thank him, commit yourself to him, tap into what he's given you, those spiritual blessings. If you don't know him, come to him, trust him tonight. Hell is real. And you're headed there if you don't know it. But if you'll come to Christ, his hands have been lifted. He's ready to offer you all those blessings for eternity. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.